Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Anne is at the helm and she's speaking with Carly Warner and Aaron Gore, the dynamic duo behind Garden Society, a popular female-focused edibles brand headquartered in California. Their company was founded by women for women and together they have created quality infused confections and sun-grown flower pre-rolls made from responsibly sourced sustainable ingredients. This one was recorded a few weeks back just as the quarantine was getting into full swing. So they talk about their origin story, getting funding for their company, as well as how COVID-19 is affecting their business. These women have a great story to tell. And now on to the conversation with Anne, Erin, and Carly. Carly and Erin, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I have been a fan of your products for a while now. Um, and I, I know that we've been trying to chat with each other and been, you know, like you guys said, ships passing in the night. So I'm glad it's finally happening. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having hey. us. We're excited. Yeah. yeah so, so much. before we dive too far in, tell me about Garden Society, a bit about your origin story. Um, and then, I mean, I, I, we want to kind of hear, you know, who you guys are, where you are in the market, and then we can talk about the, all of the Corona stuff, because I know that's really top of mind. So, um, so, so tell me your origin story. Sure. This is Erin. Um, so we founded Garden Society mid-2016. Um, it really was based on self-need for both Carly and I, quite frankly. Um, when I I was a Division One athlete in college, and I ended up having both of my hips replaced basketball, in 2011. Right? Basketball, yep. Bas in 2011 and 2012. And during that process, both managing the chronic pain beforehand and then thereafter, I really started to understand and explore cannabis and how it helped me feel better. Uh, I'm a chemical engineer by degree, and I was working for a German CPG company at the time. And I became really enthralled with cannabis, understanding the research, the product. I had my medical card. I was going into shops back then. And of course, they were very different than what you see today in the marketplace. Um, what I realized really quickly is there weren't any products for me in the market. There was nothing that was an appropriate dose for me, nothing I could trust from a um, efficacy perspective. Is it consistent? Is it homogeneous? Um, also, where is this from? What it, you know? Mm -hmm. How is it? pesticide-free, et cetera. And so I became very interested in making my own and the science of what that looked like. Um, at the same time, I had a really fast career. My husband and I launched a joint venture with Constellation. Um, that is actually how I met Carly. She was the director of PR on our wine brand. And we formed a very fast friendship. Um, I had my own career at Henkel during this time where I was managing a hundred million dollar business and kept turning back to cannabis to help me find the stress, uh, help me find the sleep and manage my stress that I was constantly, constantly battling to find. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really telling anyone about my cannabis use. I was pretty ashamed of it. 
I thought I, I don't know, it was a drug. I grew up in the Midwest. And so um, one day, one of my girlfriends caught wind that I was making edibles in my kitchen and I had this laboratory of different, <laughs> all these different edibles you could imagine. And um, she was like, well, I want to come over. And I was like, really? Okay. And so uh, she came over and we we really bonded over our love of cannabis and we're creating together. And and uh, my in-laws actually live across the street. So we started these things called high holiday baking parties before every like obscure family get together. That's <laughs> so amazing. Plenty of cannabis. Keep me nice and calm and mellow. I don't care if my house gets trashed. It's okay. <laughs> and so how did, oh, these parties started growing in size and they started going, you know, there was three of us, six of us, 12 of us, 20 of us, 30 of us. Eventually there was, you know, over 50 women at my house there because they wanted to learn about cannabis. And I had this epiphany moment. Carly actually never came to a garden party, unfortunately, back in the day or the high holiday baking party. But I had this epiphany moment where I realized all these women were there because they wanted to learn about cannabis. I realized I had a community of women that I never knew I had in this friendships that I didn't realize I had. And I realized that I was normal in my struggle to balance life and be successful. I became super inspired and set out to build what is today now Garden Society. And in the first thing I realized is that I needed a partner in crime who could, you know, as an engineer, I'm really good with numbers. I could be my better at and reached out to Carly and our, our love for cannabis really had evolved and um, she took the crazy, crazy jump and said yes. So I'll, I'll put it in her words of why she joined. Let her take a, take a turn. Thanks, Erin. Um, yeah, so Erin and I had connected when I was doing the media launch for her husband's wine brand through our their partnership with Constellation. And we were we actually ended up getting um, sort of buzzed one night at the Nomad Hotel in New York. As all good business partnerships should start. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, we started talking about our mutual cannabis use, and it was sort of this like um, light bulb moment for me to it at that time, because really, honestly, I had only mostly smoked with my husband and his buddies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends that were into cannabis. And for me, um, I came into it. I grew up in a pretty hippie household. My dad smoked pot all growing up and it kind of caused me to have like a reverse rebellion. So instead of trying all the drugs and drinking all the booze, I was super sober and just, I thought it was all bad. In my mid twenties, I started to have this, um, shift in my mind because I was trying to get off of my, um, anti-anxiety and anti-depression drug. Um, it was having some really unfortunate, um, side effects. And so I started to dabble with cannabis with my then husband or then boyfriend, now husband. And, um, we grew and really started to get into it. And so when Aaron came to me with this idea, um, I just felt compelled to jump in with both feet. And I also loved the natural progression of her doing these high holiday baking parties and the ability to build a community on that with garden society. And those, those parties turned into your, your garden parties, right? What are now known as the garden parties? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it was a, a natural genesis of like, Erin was doing these. And then as she brought forward her own brand and started to build garden society, we knew that 
um, these in-home women's parties had to be an integral part of of our brand, partly because of word of mouth. And that's how women buy. That's how Mm -hmm. women learn to trust and um, how brands earn the trust of women is really through word of mouth. And so the garden parties are a way for us to go into women's homes, help educate them, empower them, give them the information they need to start using cannabis. And then, you know, we sort of become, you know, like cannabis guides for them. And how are your products, um, you know, fundamentally different from, from other, other edibles and things that are on the shelf? I guess, what is it that, that speaks to, you know, to, to women with regards to your products? I mean, I know what speaks to me, but I, but I want to kind of hear it from the, the brand side, like what, what exactly was missing and how did you fill that void? Definitely. Well, back in 2016, what was missing really was just any cannabis brand that was talking to women. So you walked into dispensaries in those days and it was all really high milligram products, um, very masculine branding, masculine packaging. Um, And it was uncomfortable as a woman to try to go find something that you felt comfortable trying that you knew was going to taste delicious, was going to be effective. Um, the hope that maybe when you bit into the cookie, not all of the cannabis was going to be in one little corner of it. (laughs) So, um, so that was really what we focused on in building garden society is leading with this uncompromising quality. So the chocolates had to taste really good. We wanted to make sure to use really high quality chocolate. The cannabis input had to be, um, as effective and as whole as possible. So in all of our edibles, we're using a full spectrum cannabis input versus um, like a distillate. So think of it as as much of the plant material and matter, all the goodness of the plant um, being infused into the edible as opposed to just the THC or the mm-hmm. CBD. Um, and then also just making sure it looks pretty. I mean, you want something that you that catches your eye on the shelf that makes you feel like it aligns to your own values and your own um, your own personal brand. And so I think that's something that has really resonated with women and really men as well, to be quite frank. Um, you know, back in the day, I did a lot of our demos in the city and, at dispensaries and uh, we, I had a lot of the, men coming in. The city in being where? The city being San Francisco? I'm sorry, yeah. San okay. Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in LA and that's a, it's a different city. And then I think of New York City as the city. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Yeah. When you're in the North Bay, the city is San Francisco. <laughs> So, um, but we had these, I had these men walking in and they'd see our chocolate and be like, Oh my gosh, I got to give this to my mom. She has such a hard time sleeping. Or they'd see our rosettes, our little mini pre-rolls and say, Oh my gosh, I want to bring this home and see if my girlfriend will, will try it. It's like this bonding moment for men to start bringing women into the fold of their cannabis, um, experience and, help share with them. And I think it's like, it's really, it was really pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, how did you turn this vision into an, into a, into your full-time business? I mean, how are you funded? I guess, tell the story of, of getting that first investor check and, and, you know, realizing that you guys were doing this full-time. What was that like? Uh, this is Aaron. So we got <laughs> here. There's a great story yeah. here, Aaron. Just by your, just by the tone of your voice. <laughs> we got here through grinding it. I mean, now it's really interesting. Carly and I have a lot of employee conversations where we sit in the car together before we have to go have difficult discussions and be like, 
we used to do all these jobs. What's their problem? <laughs> but um, no, we self-funded the company. So when we were setting out to build Garden Society, we saw the Proposition 64 on the horizon. It was really important to us to be able to get licensed in a location here in Sonoma County that was affordable for us to run the business. So we worked really hard with the nine cities in Sonoma to say, who wants to write a cannabis ordinance? What does this look like, et cetera? So we were fortunate that we were able to bring product to market in Prop 215 in California, meaning the medical, the uh, Medical Compassionate Use Act. And so we were able to get product in market and start building our loyalty and customer base um, relatively easy. And then with the transition of Prop 64, we were in front of it and we were able to find a local jurisdiction that wrote a really progressive ordinance. Um, we have fair taxes and we found affordable rents. And so that was able to really propel us into the regulated marketplace in a cost-effective way that allows us to just scale um, based on cash flow. We did do our first investor round in 2018 from two family offices. So shout out to Artist Labs and to Big Rock, our two family offices in San Francisco that were our first investors in Garden Society. It was summer of 2018, and uh, we had been working on getting investors. Carly and I had never done this before. Um, we, it was a lot of difficult conversations, and they had been fans of ours from afar for a while. And, and we met, and it was synergistic, and um, they became our first investors. So we were then off to the races. Um, we have since raised another about 600000 Um we have a really interesting model that we have put together um, called a women's slate. So we had gotten a lot of pushback from male investors in the industry that not the women investors had not invested in us. Why didn't the women support you? Where are the women involved from an investor level in your business? And as you guys know, probably, if you look at female investing overall, women are, are you know, receive 2% of venture capital investments, right? And their businesses are proven to do better. And their businesses are proven to do better. I mean, it's crazy. That's a whole nother podcast for you. But yeah. um, in the cannabis space, there's not a lot of female investors because women are more risk averse. Women are more insecure about federal and status. Men are just kind of go for it. They're like, I want to make money. I'm going. And women are like, oh, I need to learn, learn to back this mentality of the male investor to show that the women really support us. So we put together a women's slate. We have eight women from the cannabis industry who have all personally invested in us. They're movers and shakers in the industry. They're thought leaders. They're investors and part of large funds. Um, so we've really been able to coalesce the women around us in a way that was approachable and affordable for them, but really made an impact and gave us access to these bigger networks that we would have otherwise never had. Um, so like some of the members of our women's slate are Tiffany and Cody from Entourage, Effect Capital, um, Jamie from Bang, um, Paige from Terrasend, and I could go on and on. Um, then what we're doing right now is a we're lot closing of those our are next round. Yeah, they're great. Um, so now we're closing uh, another round. We're doing a SPV currently that's about to close. So um, we've been working really closely with some family offices in New York. We're really excited about that. And um, but at the core of what we're trying to do is we've built this business on word of mouth marketing. We've built this business on product and customer loyalty. They love our products. And we're trying to scale it the right way and run a good business. It's not growth at all costs. We're not trying to raise 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to just build a top line that's not profitable. So we're really trying to build this for the long haul. And, and we're proud of all the jobs we've created. We're proud of our small but mighty team. And we're proud of the impact that we're having in the industry. And it seems like, um, you're giving a lot of opera, not giving, but, um, being female focused is endemic to who you are. So, you know, what other things are you doing to ensure that, um, that you're creating more opportunities for women, not just in, not just on the investment side? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the things that we do is we have our garden parties. So those are really around community building and empowering women to ask questions. So from a consumer point of view, really leading women on their cannabis journey. And we say, go out and try products. And then what we find is they go out and try products and they always come back to us, right? We're not all things. So we want you to be empowered and go experiment and do stuff. So really we're really proud to like actually have helped these women on their cannabis journey and then hear how cannabis has really helped their quality of life and how they become evangelists for cannabis and are telling all their friends, whether it's our products or not our products. Um, the other thing we do is we do a lot of mentoring in the space. We do a lot of peer to peer discussions. Carly and I are close to a lot of the other female founded companies in California. And so we spend time, actually, we just got off the phone with one company saying, how do we work together? Like, how can we synergize our sales? How can you help us in these accounts and we help you in those? And so just really walking the talk around women supporting women, because we really believe all ships rise with the tides. Um, we started a group called W Empowered pre-Proposition 64 that was focused around coalescing women and bringing in policymakers to get these women access to the decision maker for the policies as they were being rolled out and implemented and changes were being driven. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of ways we really look at how we walk that talk or how we do it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, we also, we also get as much as we give. There's wonderful women who help us in our issues. So it's a really collaborative community. Yeah, I'm definitely going to need to uh, have a garden party once once this quarantine is lifted. Oh, I think uh, we're we would have, love that. I think we're going to have a surge of garden parties. <laughs> I think that's probably pretty accurate. But yeah, I mean, I will, raising my hand here in LA, got lots of girlfriends um, and guy friends, and I would love to do it. But um, I'll <laughs> message you guys offline about that. Um, so Ah, sorry, Shay, I sewed you, but we are on to the elephant in the room. And I really think it's, it's so hard to understate the impact of the that the coronavirus is having on the cannabis industry. On one hand, dispensaries are seeing more sales than ever. Um, and on the other hand, this was an industry that was on fragile footing to begin with. Um, and I think it's really struggled in the last year. Um, you know, finding capital and scaling the business and, and all of that stuff. How is, is, is this virus affecting you guys at the brand level? I mean, Darren, do you want me to go for this one? Yeah, you <laughs> take a stab and then I'll follow up. Sounds good. I mean, I, it's definitely, this is Carly speaking. Um, it's definitely impacted us on all levels of the business, but it also has brought about some really interesting sort of um, shining lights on things that we either didn't realize were there or opportunities that we didn't realize we quite realize we had. So not to, you know, um, speak joyously about a virus in any way, but I think it's been really interesting how, um, 
you know, we've had partners come forward to help us. Um, at the beginning of all of this, as the shelter in place began, we didn't know if retailers were going to be able to stay open. We didn't know if we were going to be able to keep moving along with our business at the clip that we were moving. And so um, as an industry coming together to, you know, lobby the right people within the government to make sure that cannabis was deemed an essential business. And then from there, making sure that as a industry, we were putting together good SOPs um, to make sure that all of the deliveries were using safe practices, making sure that customers understood um, that safe, safe access to cannabis was still available because a lot of people really do use this as medicinal. Mm -hmm. um, and so and it's been interesting, like we've definitely had some of our customers, so our delivery, um, we deliver up in Sonoma County and Napa County directly to homes. And we've had a surge in like our milk chocolate orders, for example, because it helps people sleep at night. Um, and that's something that people are really losing right now. So I think just from like a brand perspective, that's how we've been moving forward. Erin, do you want to speak more to the um, financial side? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, while we see this opportunity for us in surging orders, we also, you know, our funding got delayed. It was supposed to be closing Monday. And so we Ugh. received a call that it's not. And so they are re they've, they recommitted to us the certainty of it closing and that they're in, they just need to wait for the volatility to slow down, which I understand. And I empathize with that. Um, one of our investors aunt is diagnosed with COVID and he said, I'm sorry, I am committed to do this, but I need to put my full attention and resources behind my family right now. Right. And who are we to say no, right? Of course, of course. You, of course you have to empathize with these people in time of need. So Unfortunately, what that meant for us is that our some of our growth plans and product expansion plans and all of that that we ha are super excited about got put on hold. The nice thing about our business is that we're small and mighty. So unfortunately, we have had to reduce our burn rate and we've had to um, furlough some staff members. But we're really looking at the horizon and we're saying, how do we ensure that when that horizon is here, we are here stronger than ever. And so, you know, it's been a blessing and it's been really energizing to see investors recommit their commitments to us. You know, of course, I'd love to have that money in the bank now and I need it right. now. Right? But in the meantime, we have a really strong operational plan that gets us to the end of the year and gets us stronger than ever. And then, you know, if that money comes in as we're expecting it to, we can go back to our, our high growth mode. And if not, we can just hunker down and really sell beautiful products that consumers want and and get to the end of the year still strong. So it's been a very um, emotional two weeks, both personally for our loved ones and our families. Carly and I both have kids at home and husbands. And so managing mom life when you have mm -hmm. no childcare and you can't go to the grocery store and it's, oh my gosh, it's like really complicated. And then also managing our employee safety and how do we keep the business going now on ca cash flow, right? So really making difficult decisions in real time quickly. Um, what I, what I think has been really tremendous to see is our employees, we have the best team. They are so appreciative of us taking care of them, but also respectful of our decisions. And they want what we want, which is the longevity of the company. And, and we also have partners and advisors who are willing to step up and say, you know what, you can put my fees on hold right now because I'm with you for the long ride. And like, 
we'll, we'll figure it out later, but I'm here. I'm not going away. When we look at how do we reduce our expenses? Wow, that's still, really I'm amazing. Still, yeah. It's, that, been- it's, it's brought Carly and I to tears a couple of times and it, it really shows to the quality of the relationships that you build. Right. And so you're with people in the good and you're with people in the bad and how respectful you are and how you treat them and, and how deep those relationships can be, but also how impactful. So I, I think it's a, it's a very um, difficult time for us as a company. Of course, we don't want to, you know, have to make those difficult decisions, but it's also a very energizing time because we can test our model of how do we collaborate with more women? How do we become more profitable faster? How do we scale more sustainably? And at the end of the day, how do we walk the talk ourselves and practice self-care during this really challenging time and make sure that Carly and I are in it, like we're, we keep ourselves healthy because if one of us goes down, it's a whole different right. world. Right. <laughs> right. That's a lot on your shoulders. I mean, what are you guys doing? You know, I was going to ask this later, but what are you guys doing for self-care and making sure that, you know, that you're, you're there for the people you need to be there for? Smoke uh, lots of cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, strains, like what's your recommendation? Like, you know, and, and you're, and smoking versus edibles versus tinctures. Yeah. Like what's, what's, what's going on there? Yeah. Um, yes to I mean, yeah, yes to all of it. I think, you know, something that's been really great for us is uh, middle of last year, we launched our high CBD rosettes. Um, so rosettes are what we call pre-rolls at Garden Society. And they're really great for daytime because they calm your anxiety, but they don't get you high necessarily in that psychoactive way. So those are something that we've really been encouraging people to try. Um, And then, of course, the edibles, you know, the milk chocolates for sleep are wonderful. We also have a really beautiful spicy dark chocolate that is infused with a sativa strain. So that one's really nice for like... um, So at my house, we've been implementing afternoon tag in the backyard. (laughs) It's a way to get some energy out for all of us. And my husband and I also found that it was like a really good mood lift at the end of the day. When we get through our work day, our daughter's super excited that we're finally, you know, out there playing with her. And um, so, you know, sometimes we'll each split, we'll split a dark chocolate and just go play tag in the backyard. And it's super fun. Um, yeah. So that's one of, kind of one of the ways we've been. I love hoping. that. I have a two-year-old, so we're not quite to the tag level yet, but my <laughs> and I, yeah, we're not quite there. Although he does like chase me around the house, like a crazy man, but we <laughs> have just been playing outside on the playset. I mean, the one thing Carly and I are so blessed with, we live in beautiful wine country. Carly's in Petaluma. I'm in Healdsburg. So it, we have a little bit of a, a leg up, I think, on our city slicker friends in the sense that we can get outside and have blue sky and sunshine. So um, I live I live on a farm, you know, surrounded by vineyards. And so we've been trying to go for a walk every day and we yeah. have our own play set in our backyard. So just like making sure to to move and get outside and consume cannabis. And I will say my husband and I are, are of the mindset as well right now that why should we save these nice bottles of wine? Cause life is short. So, uh, I mean, I have to drink it during a pandemic. What are you holding <laughs> on to it for? <laughs> Unfortunately, we drank one round of really good wine during the fires. Oh, <laughs> 
Carly participated in that because we actually evacuated to Carly's house. Um, but no, now we're, you know, just enjoying the beautiful bounty that we have up here. So actually, you know, what's really funny. I think that's why we had to reschedule one of the times. So every time I go to talk to you guys, there is some kind of natural disaster. I'm not that blaming you. It, yeah. I'm just saying that maybe let's be careful the next time we talk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or maybe this breaks it. Maybe this will break the streak. Oh, I like that. That's Nick, we're positive. still healthy here. Yeah, good. Um, so, and I, are you guys doing any, because you are making something that is um, consumable, edible, um, is there anything different you're doing from a protocol standpoint? Or I, Because I think people would be really surprised, people not in the cannabis space would be really surprised just how sterile and, and clinic-like and GMP-like, you know, a lot of these facilities are in order to comply with such strict state regulation. So um, is there anything differently you're doing in your kitchens or, um, or, or, or anything of that nature? Or were you guys already like ready for, for something like this? even if you couldn't picture what this was? I, I think that's a great question. I don't think you're ever ready for a pandemic. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. I would say that on one side, it's been really refreshing because we actually haven't had to implement too many cleaning protocols or personal hygiene protocols because we already had those in place. Mm -hmm. We have had to implement social distancing protocols. So what that means is in our packaging line, we have to maintain a certain distance between all of our employees. So our efficiencies have gone down. Also, the efficiencies of our partners have gone down because of all the new social distancing protocols. Where we have implemented new protocols is in all of our external facing interactions. So any of our delivery drivers who are delivering orders to dispensaries or our delivery drivers delivering orders to people's homes, making sure that we follow appropriate safety precautions. So wearing gloves, wearing a mask, you know, sanitizing with, with Clorox wipes or, or with you know, cleaning products as appropriate. And then also having new systems in place for delivery, where in the past we used to check their ID, they would sign a piece of paper, they would we would hand them their products. Well, you can't do that or don't want to do that with social distancing. So the Bureau has allowed us to do some new protocols to ensure that we're delivering to the right person and they're over 21, but to limit the amount of interaction we actually have to have. So that's been really, um, I think, help, helpful to the short-term crisis to ensure employee safety and consumer safety. Um, and then, like I said, on the manufacturing side, I'm proud that we had really good sanitation and personal protective equipment already in place. So we actually didn't have to make that many changes there, which was you know, reassuring to see that we're following best manufacturing practices. And I live in uh, LA, like I said, um, and and we've been to dispensaries here and, and there's no one that we talk to is concerned about supply yet. Um, and, you know, we've been a couple of different times just to kind of to check it out. Um, what are you do? Like, are, are you are you overproducing? Are you are you producing exactly what you need? I guess what are you doing to ensure that the people who have really come to love and 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 let's face it, rely on your products from a medical standpoint um, will be able to 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 access your products in the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are really focused on ensuring that our key partners have the proper inventory levels that they need. We also work with a third-party distributor who allows us to have a bigger scope and stretch than we could have on our own. So we're ensuring that our supply 
pipeline is full at the retail level. And then most importantly, that our direct consumers have access to our products. We're not overproducing because I do believe with the economic fallout, there is going to be a slowdown in regulated cannabis sales. Um, we also know that right now people are buying on this kind of hoarding mentality where they're stocking up because they're not sure how long this is going to last and if they're going to stay open. That's already dropped off. So you can see the retail sales are declining compared mm -hmm. to this hoarding mindset. Um, so we're really looking at our forecast, our organic growth. We're trying not to buy into the hype, but we're also trying ensure that our supply chain is full. And um, we, you know, where I think it's going to get really delicate is in two or three months from now, depending on how long the recession or depression lasts, depending on what happens with the cannabis supply chain, there could be a lot of disruption. And so that could create a lot of opportunity for us, or that could also impact us. With our licensing, the nice thing is we have a backstop of resiliency because we're vertically licensed, so we can always do everything on our own, hmm. even though we currently work with partners as well to help us scale economically. But I do think it's something that we have to be prepared for and are planning to say, what happens if this partner, you know, is no longer available to work with? What, help, what happens if these people don't pay their bills? Um, because there is going to be some level of fallout as you as you know, cannabis companies don't um, cannabis companies don't get any of the stimulus package support. So yep. we can't apply for small business loans. We can't um, get yeah, any you're deemed an essential yeah. service. That's just yeah, exactly. And so and and we do have to follow all the employment laws. So we have to honor two weeks of sick pay with full pay. We have to make sure we're paying all of our payroll taxes, right? So like. Our costs are like any other business, yet we have no access to capital through the banks and we have no access to small business relief through any of the stimulus packages or relief funds. So it's a very, and, and as you know, the investor landscape has dramatically changed with the volatility in the stock market. So it's a very trying time for the capital markets for cannabis specifically. And I think it's going to be about longevity and stable, how you stabilize and how you reach cash flow positive as quick as possible. And then when things start to open up, you know, the real shining stars will, will emerge from that. I've already started to see stories about how um, because cannabis is is deemed um, an essential service and, um, you know, and, and all of that stuff and, and the fact that we're not, um, you know, eligible for the, the federal aid that could this could be an actual um, net positive for the industry in that it, it kind of shines a spotlight on it's here. It's going to stay. People rely on it. Um, you know, this could be, you know, sometimes the, the the only way that some of these states and municipalities are, are generating tax revenue right now is through cannabis. Um, so so. So do you, looking down two years from now or three years from now, do you think that this will have a, a, a fundamental change on the federal um, status of or the scheduling of cannabis? Or do you think that's too opportunistic and I should be ashamed of myself? No, I mean, we were just on a, a call earlier this morning and like we learned that cannabis, if you look at the gross sector of job creation, cannabis is the number one job creator in this country right now. Crazy, right. Right. And so I think that this situation with the states deeming cannabis as essential 
and the acceptance and the movement towards cannabis use for, for medicinal relief. And when I say medicinal wellness, it's about helping with sleep and stress and, you know, maybe even to the, to the edge of, you know, cancer all the way down to the recreational user. It's all around how you access recreational versus medical is how you access your products, not why you use your products necessarily. Right. And I think this is going to dramatically shift the conversation at the federal level, especially the states that are going to want to ensure that their regulated marketplace survives and thrives. Because what you're going to see for the first time is champions at the state level into the federal conversation saying, hey, California needs, California legal cannabis needs access to federal relief. California legal cannabis deserves to have the same access to small business as anyone else. And I think you're going to really accelerate the rate of um, deschedulization. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of special interests and a lot of moving parts at the federal level that, you know, really will impact when that happens. But I do think this is a really great testament for our industry on the legitimacy of the industry and the importance for our communities. When you think of your company, I, I mean, I, I kind of think of two things. One is the is the very female focused leadership role you guys have taken. The other is you're a very California company. Um, you know, you started in wine country. Um, you are, you know, California to the core. Are you guys looking to expand into other markets? Um, and what's that? If so, what's that scaling looking like? <laughs> We're California OGs. <laughs> I love uh, it. Even though I'm from Wisconsin, eh? <laughs> oh, my husband's a Um, No, so p- when we close our funding, we are looking to launch a hemp CBD product line with Garden Society. So really starting to have a national conversation and bring our brand to a national level and national access. And then from that, we're we're looking at strategic expansion into new markets. Um, like you know, you can't ship across state lines, so it's not just as easy as me fulfilling an order to Illinois. There's a lot of complexities and dynamics involved in actually setting up operations in another state. So right now, we're focused on owning California and our growing our market share here. We're having tremendous growth within California, so it's a real opportunity for us. And what we know in these large these large MSOs and on the federal legalization landscape is that the, we feel that the um, brands are going to be, be pulled out of California and pulled east to the consumers. So by really being a leader in California, it gives us opportunity to move east when it's the right time for us. Um, and the, the CBD the CBD product line will allow us to start to build that brand recognition and thought leadership in those new markets without the complexities of the THC product. Mm-hmm. When can people expect to see those um, on, I was going to say store shelves, on the interwebs shelves? Yeah, we're looking at Q3 right now. Q3, Q4, okay. we're going live. Okay. Um, you guys have been so generous with your time. Thank you so much. I have two more questions for you, um, and it's for both of you. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've made, and what have you learned from it? And it can be business. It can be like, I picked the wrong major in college. It could be whatever you want. <laughs> Carly, what do you want to go first? Or you want me to go? Oh my gosh. That's like a big question. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the biggest mistake that I've made and that I've overcome, I don't know if it's a mistake, but I've had this really persistent self-doubt um, through most of my life. And there's something about owning your own business and working with a partner like Aaron 
that has pushed me beyond that. It's given me new self-confidence. It's helped me realize like, hey, you really are worth it. You really can do this um, and have this new belief in myself. So I guess that's sort of dancing around your question a little bit. Sorry for being a politician in that way. But no, I do think, I think it's, it's important. Really interesting answer. Yeah, I just think it's really important for people to hear that like, just because you feel like most of your life you've been one way, which for me was, you know, a little less confident, having lots of self-doubt, you, you know, there is the ability to push through that and to find and surround yourself with people who believe in you so that you can help shift that lens and really start to believe in yourself. And then doing that, that has what helped, has helped me blossom. And I think that it's really benefited the brand because I've been able to you know, get past that and start implementing and having new ideas that I feel confident in sharing. Well, think of all the brain space that it opens up that all of a sudden, you know, you're not worried about that crap anymore and you can focus on stuff that that really matters. And that's true. Um, so I think that's really interesting. You're going to make me emotional over here. I don't have that. Good <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> um, I will say from my side, the one thing that was not a mistake was getting a chemical engineering degree. Mm-hmm. I never thought it would come full circle, but it has. <laughs> <laughs> I hated chemical engineering when I was at the German CPG company. And now I'm like, so why did you do it? That's so, so what made you say like this, this is my major mom and dad, like what, 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 how did that happen? I think that's like a whole separate conversation. <laughs> I kind of fell into it. I don't know. Yeah. I like challenges. I like things that are really hard and I didn't want to be a doctor. I started pre-med and I had the the foundation of classes to be an engineer, a chemical engineer. And so I just did it. I, I They made a lot of money. <laughs> Like, frankly, um, no, I think my biggest, my biggest mistake though, is, uh, I didn't realize how much capital it would take to scale our business and the impact and the, that would have on the business. So it's so much easier to scale when you have resources like capital. And so I, um, you know, when I was starting out, I probably would have raised money like right away or earlier on and raised more money. You know, we were very humble. So like asking for more than you need and not being, you know, there's a weird initiative within women where they, mm-hmm. you know, don't know, they don't want to ask for too much. They don't want to seem greedy. They don't, they're not sure. Could I really spend $10 million? Could I really spend $5 million? Like, you know, so like the biggest thing I've learned is to be bold and to really swing for it because, yeah, we can do it and we can build it. And so raising money now looks very different for us than when we started. And a lot of that is self-confidence and also like owning, owning our authenticity of who we are. I mean, when I was in corporate, I had a lot of, uh, Cynthia Nixon did this video about what it means to be a woman, right? You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too thin. You're, you're too thin. You need to be fatter. You need to be skinnier. Right. And, and that's how I felt in corporate where I was so different I led a team of Asian men. I reported to a German man. I was the only woman. I was American. I was young. And so I was always trying to adopt to be somebody else. And then when I got into the cannabis world, I found myself a little bit doing that because I thought I had to be on this fundraising journey. I'm raising money against all these men, all these brands. We have to, we have to have this growth goal. We have to act like this. We have to do this. I have to be, you know, and, and now I've come to this place where it's like, really owning your authenticity and who you are and why. And, 
and also like looking for like-minded valued investors. I wasted a lot of time with people who we would have never wanted to do business with. And so being bold about that and confident in that, um, Carly and I walked away from our series A, we had a lead investor in our series A and we just didn't have the same values and didn't appreciate how they were starting to treat us. And, you know, we were bold and confident and said, you know what, it's better to do no money than it is to do bad money. And, yeah. and we made that step. And so I just wish we would have been a little bolder earlier on and a little more authentic earlier on in that way. I mean, you said something, I think Aaron, you said it earlier and it, it still has me like scratching my head that male investors were curious as to or, or pushed back as to why you didn't have enough female investors. Like what, like, it's just such a, a you're a catch 22. Um, you know, there's not the huge pool of female investors that we can, that we can pull from here. And then, so, and if you had a ton of female investors, they probably would hedge against that too. So I don't know if that just blew my mind and kind of, I don't know, just when I think I can't be surprised. I had a male investor tell me once that they didn't think that female consumers were scalable. <laughs> and you're like, okay, oh, <laughs> we're what? leaving this conversation. Yeah. But I will I, say, I will say we have like, I, and I felt like this in corporate and I feel like this at Garden Society, some of our best champions are men. So we have male investors who believe in us and inspire us and help us. And so it's not by any means a gender identification problem. You know, our some of our best assets are our male advisors and investors who believe in what we're doing. That's great. Okay, one last question, and then I promise I'll let you go. We ask this of all of our guests, and it's a little wonky because it's such a weird press time, but, you know, being in the PR industry, we're always looking at headlines and storylines. Um, if you take COVID out of the equation, pretend it doesn't exist for now, what's the one story that you think the media is missing about the cannabis industry? You know, I what I've really what I would really love to dig into is um, a really bold story about why it's okay to just have fun and get high. <laughs> in the mainstream press. like Yeah, in like in the mainstream mm -hmm. press, like let's cut it out with all this like, oh, you, you can only, it's only okay to talk about smoking weed if you're using it for medical purposes or if you um, are really stressed out or if you're anxious or if you have cancer, um, which are all extremely valid reasons to use cannabis. But there's also just the joy factor. There's mm -hmm. the idea that you can enjoy cannabis just like you enjoy a glass of wine or you can enjoy cannabis as a recreational thing to brighten your life and just have more fun. And I would love for there to be like a really bold profile piece around some high profile people and why they use cannabis simply to bring more joy to their life. I love that. That gave, that gave me the shivers. That's great. What a great Wait, final uh, answer, Carly. Good job. Society rosettes, of course. <laughs> right, yeah, of course. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, we will definitely make sure to put um, your uh, links to your website and your social handles um, in our show notes. But thank you guys so much. I'm really so glad that we could finally make this happen. Um, I know times are weird right now, but we really appreciate you guys taking the time. Thank you so much. You. It's been really fun. Our pleasure. Our thanks to Carly Warner and Aaron Gore, co-founders of Garden Society. Check them out at thegardensociety.com and on their very excellent Instagram at 
GRDN Society. I think that's also their Twitter handle too. Again, it's at GRDN Society. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to chat with us, find us on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or send Lewis hate mail at greenrush at kcsa.com. One take, Shay. One take.